right now it is time to head to Boston, Massachusetts, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Celeste Katz-Marston is with us. Celeste, good morning. Good morning. Well, the big news this week in the U.S. has been the fact that Elon Musk, well, he said he's going to buy Twitter for, what, 40-odd million dollars, I think, uh, which is a lot of money to pay for anything, let alone, uh, you know, a social media uh, platform, which I don't even know whether it makes any money. But I suppose when you've got that amount of money, you can spend it on what you like. The question is, do you think he will buy it? I mean, you know, right now they've they've accepted the offer. It's not a done deal. And, uh, you know, Elon Musk is, as I think we both know, is, I don't know, what, what we're going to call him, peripatetic or mercurial or, uh, you know, he's not exactly the most predictable guy in uh in business or or in uh technology um one of the things that we've been seeing is that apparently as part of this deal there was essentially like a no disparagement clause he could talk about the acquisition he could talk about the company but he couldn't be like slamming it and in fact he's already put out a number of tweets that could be construed as slamming some of twitter's leadership on Twitter, so uh, you know that, that's the kind of thing we've we've come to expect from Elon Musk. And is is that a deal breaker? I, I'm not sure, but uh, he seems to be testing some of the boundaries very early on in this uh, in this venture. But if he wanted to buy it, he could. He would just buy up all the shares, isn't that it? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, you know uh, put himself out there to actually essentially take the company private is is what they're talking about here so yeah i think that until it's a done deal you know this is this is something that uh initially that they were trying to stop that they were trying to put in some sort of uh, basically like a poison pill mechanism um i don't i don't have the exact details on it but they were not sort of traipsing up to his door and begging him to to buy it they wanted to put some sort of controls on the speed of this thing and how it was done and so on now it looks like they have come to some sort of a financial agreement but uh, again it's 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 not all squared away just yet but the thing is because it's not a private company now all he has to do is offer enough money to the people that own the shares and if they decide to sell it to him that's it he just he owns it yeah and if he takes the company private if he if he develops that ownership stake takes the company private then that could have a lot of repercussions on how how much we know how much we can know about what the company is doing uh, how it's doing it, why it's doing things. You know, there's a certain level of responsibility and disclosure that comes along with being a publicly traded company. And a lot of that could go away if he becomes the the sole controlling owner of the company. So if he owns it and he alone owns it, he doesn't have to report to shareholders. He doesn't have to report to various uh, over, government oversight. That's it. It's just his company. He can do whatever he likes. Right. He there's a, a whole sequence of things that add up to accountability that he could get rid of. And he's talked about making some things about Twitter more transparent. He's talked about, uh, you know, making source code more public. He's talked about uh, one of his big concerns is sort of the algorithm that's used to determine what you see and what gets the most exposure um, to be retweeted or repeated or disseminated. He's talked about making those things more open, but there are definitely other aspects of the company that he could make more opaque as a sole controlling interest. So, I mean, so people are already talking that he would weaken the content moderation so he says yes we're in favor of free speech and therefore anyone can say whatever they like which 
you know, uh, you know, people could slander or defame people, whatever. Is there any limit to that sort of statement? Yeah, you know, those. I think those would become much more internal company decisions that wouldn't be subject to other people being able to weigh in either by saying something or by doing something like dumping shares, um, things like that. You know, sort of voting, uh, voting with their feet or with their pocketbooks per mm-hmm. se. Um, so that that could be a really big deal. I and mean, you know, there are lots of things that he's been talking about. You know, whether to bring back people who were kicked off the platform, most mm-hmm. notably, of course, Donald Trump. You know. Is that even a question? Trump has apparently already said that, oh, well, you know, he, he wouldn't be uh, he, he wouldn't join a club that would have him as a member. And he's going to focus on his own media platform, which uh, by all accounts is going uh, oh, nowhere, very high speed. So, um, you know, th- he's talked about you know the possibility of an edit function on Twitter, which brings up um, a whole host of potential other problems. Like what if you tweet something and it gets uh, repeated and um, yeah. amplified greatly and then you edit it to change to the exact opposite of what you said in the first place. Like they do then have people amplifying something that is the, you know, diametrically opposed to what they thought they were amplifying in the first place. Like mm. It gets complicated. It does. But with Donald Trump, I mean, famously he was banned from Twitter. Yes, he tried to start his own social media platform, which, as you say, you know, no one seems to... I mean, it doesn't have too many followers and it hasn't really caught on yet. It took a while for Twitter to catch on as well. Do we know whether Elon Musk is a supporter of Trump or have they cozied up in the past? I mean, even the, the thing with Elon Musk is, again, I mean, he tends to, like, get very interested in things and then lose interest. He tends to be somewhat unpredictable. So even going by any past statements, and I don't know where he stands on it right now, I think he's teased some things like that, like, oh, should we bring back people like this? But, you know, again, that's not an indicator of either how he personally feels about it or what he would do if he controlled the company. And essentially, I don't want to take the analogy too far, but I mean, if he controls the company, what he gives, he can also take away, you know? So um, some people look at a lot of the things he's saying and doing is, you know, possibly a publicity stunt. Although uh, from what I can tell, it is not necessarily having the best effect on Tesla and Tesla stock because people are wondering, well, where's he going to get all this money to buy the thing? So well, some people are worried about that. Yeah, and John has texted in and says he buys it for $40 billion and then in 12 months he can publicly list it for $80 billion. Now, I don't think that Twitter is going to double in price. I'm no expert, obviously, in a year, certainly not to $80 billion, given that he's paying way over the odds at the moment. And it doesn't really make any money, does it? Well, I guess what it would depend on was if he bought the company and made dramatic changes that somehow made the platform more effective, more appealing, had greater growth potential, reaching more people. Because relative to, say, like a Facebook type platform or TikTok type platform, relatively few people use Twitter. I think it's been the sort of people who use Twitter, the the sort of echelon of people Mm -hmm. who use Twitter to great effect, not just have an account, but use it frequently. and have mass followings. That's what makes Twitter a different kind of platform, a different kind of megaphone. If 
Elon Musk were able to take over the company and to make substantial changes to grow the impact of Twitter or what it could do or uh, who it was reaching to make it more appealing, also to make it more profitable, then you might have a different picture if he was then looking to uh, flip it around and, and have it go back public. Already there are too many ads on it anyway, and I delete them or block them. Uh, look, people can follow. I love Twitter, and it does an incredible job. And I think the potential for Twitter has, has really not been uh, exploited, for want of a better word, just yet. Please follow me, everyone, at Quinn Rod. Okay, so um, <laughs> thank you, Celeste. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who was very much the face of uh, the pandemic over the last few years, he says that the U.S. is no longer in the grip of the coronavirus pandemic. This happens in the same week that the vice president has tested positive, positive for it. I thought it was rather amusing. They said, oh, she hasn't seen the president recently. I thought, no, <laughs> they've been keeping a long way apart. She doesn't seem to have much to do with the president. Um, is the, the pandemic, though, is not over. It's definitely not over. And it's not even over in the United States. You know, certainly we see other parts of the world that have much higher rates of infection transmission. Um, most of the United States now uh, is seeing, is living, most people in the United States, I should say, are living in areas where there are low infection rates, uh, the vast majority of the country. Um, I think more than 60% of people uh, are vaccinated to at least some extent. And millions and millions, tens of millions of people have already contracted the virus. So between all of those things, we are sort of at a different phase of the pandemic. The pandemic isn't over, but we're out of this sort of most extreme phase. We're not looking at lockdowns. We're not looking at school closures. We're not looking at, at these sort of massive clusters. Coronavirus is with us, and it will be with us for a long time. I think that, um, you know, Mexico, for example, has just transitioned to saying that they are going from pandemic to endemic, which means it's around. Probably you will have to get vaccinated for it or take measures every year the same way we do for, you know, diseases like seasonal flu. Um, you know, I fully expect that we will see, if not immediately, then pretty soon an annual shot for yeah. for coronavirus or some sort of um, regular measure. Uh, will it be a booster that people are fighting to get every, you know, three months or six months? No, but I think it's part of our lives. Right. I think what Fauci is saying is that we are not at panic stations. That doesn't mean that we are out of the woods completely. Yes, who knows what happens next? He says we don't have 900 thousand new infections a day and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths and that's certainly not the case but still in say just in New South Wales 13,000 cases nearly every day I mean that's still if that had been two years ago people would be panicking uh, now people just forget about it and move on it's really quite sad um Kamala Harris, the vice president, though, I thought this was interesting because today is the 29th, the 28th in the US of April. She had not seen the president since the 8th of April, I think, or the 18th of April, I'm sorry, the 18th of April. So that's still like 10 days ago. I know she'd been away for a trip, but still, um, you know, it's not the case that the vice president and the president sort of meet each other every couple of days, or is that just not what happens in this White House? 
Yeah. I mean, typically you would you would assume that the president and the vice president meet regularly. I know that from uh, from covering Donald Trump's administration, uh, you would get his daily schedule and he would frequently there there would be, you know, has lunch with the vice president would would be on his schedule, although their relationship was also interesting and certainly much more interesting at the at the very yeah. end of, yeah. of, of that story. Um, I think in this case, a vice president Harris had been traveling on the West Coast, uh, had been just out of town for like a week or so. So it would have made sense that they were not in in direct physical contact um, in the the days or the week leading up to the diagnosis. Um, the you know from and from everything that we have seen and heard at least uh, she is tested positive for the virus but is asymptomatic so she's not sick. Uh, although there's been some discussion about whether, um, you know, wh- what was the story behind her receiving a, um, a therapeutic drug called Paxlovid yeah. and uh, whether this is something that an average person would get. Uh, she is 57 years old, which puts her at somewhat higher risk for complications from the virus. But at the same time, would she have had access to this medication or other similar types of medications if she were not the vice president? Doesn't seem like 100 percent she would have. Okay. Well, they should point out, of course, uh, President Trump, when he was president and he tested positive, he got special or uh, um, uh, medication as well, or at least experimental medication, didn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, he was hospitalized at Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, from what I recall, he was having some, he was in distress. He was yeah. having trouble breathing. You saw him after he emerged from the hospital, he made a, a point, which is understandable for the optics of it, of walking up the steps to the White House after getting out of the helicopter. He did look like he had some some labored breathing. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to diagnose him or anybody else. But um, in this case, at least from what we are, and I have not seen seen Vice President Harris uh, since the diagnosis, but um, from everything we are uh, seeing through the reporting and through uh, information directly from the White House, uh, apparently she didn't even know she was sick. I think in in President Trump's case, he knew he was sick and they knew he was sick enough to take him to a hospital for basically intensive care. All righty, Celeste Katzmaston is our guest in Boston, which is the home, sort of, because it's in Cambridge, but that's part of the Boston city or the, the larger, greater Boston area, of uh, Harvard University. Now, Harvard has said that it will spend $100 million, that's a lot of money, to study and atone for its extensive ties with slavery. So what are those ties and what do they plan to do with this $100 million? Basically, the the deal with Harvard was they did a study of themselves and they found out that people uh, who were leaders of Harvard, basically in, in colonial times, from the time it was founded in 1636 until about 1783, which is, I think, when um, uh, enslaving people was outlawed in in Massachusetts, uh, there were leaders of the university who uh, had enslaved people working for them, and that people who were enslaved um, took care of Harvard faculty and staff, uh, students, and so on. And um, they're saying that this was about 70 people, Black and Native American people who were enslaved in this way. And there could have been many more. That was probably an undercount, almost 
almost certainly an undercount, they're saying. And so they are finding out who these people are, uh, what they, you know, what their roles were, what their lives were like in association with Harvard, but also that even after that, Harvard had some policies and some teaching and some faculty um, that were associated with things like race science, eugenics, and so on. They had physical therapy mm -hmm. and so on that was supposed to be based on body types that were related to these sort of racist policies. So basically what they're going to do, the short story is they're going to take the money to sort of investigate how they can how, how they can make up for this. We're not talking about direct financial reparations, at least not at this point, but they're talking about like investigating more about what this meant, how this affected um, the university, because the university also invested in, in activities that were directly related to the slave trade, like the rum trade, uh, and so on, which had a lot to do with with uh, slavery. And so they might do things like establish programs with historically black colleges and universities to have students study at Harvard for a year. Um, they might try to bring in people who were um, from, you know, families who were directly affected by slavery and so on in the black and Caribbean and Native American communities. Uh, you know, lots of things like that develop better relationships with Native American tribes, try to do something to acknowledge and account for and in some way, if possible, make up for this legacy of having relied on um, both directly on people who were enslaved and uh, investment in industries that uh, were founded on human slavery. So we're talking about, at the minimum, 239 years ago, which, I mean, reparations, you know, as you say, they're probably not going to be doing that because, obviously, not only there's no one around, but how would you even work out who would be paid any reparations, any family means, too many to, uh, to do? I mean, surely, yes, perhaps giving... Um, scholarships and things like that to people uh, who would not ordinarily go to Harvard, that's a better way of making some sort of recompense, surely. Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't really figured out yet, uh, and that's part of this, they haven't really figured out what they're going to do with the money. Uh, I'm not even sure how they calculated exactly that money. It sounds like a lot of money, but if you think that uh, Harvard's endowment, which is the, the biggest endowment of, of any of the colleges and universities, is something like $50 billion. Yeah. I'm sure there will be some people who say, like, really, is that all you could come across with? This this may not be the end of it, but um, as far as figuring out who should um, get some of this, uh, if it's financial assistance or attention, you know, they do have some records about the people who were enslaved, who were directly associated with the university, but it's, it's really a tangled web, and it's going to be yeah. hard to figure out exactly where to go with that. Boy, but with $50 billion, they could have bought Twitter. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> they now, could have done that. Yes. Uh, finally then, look, last time I think we talked about murder hornets. We've heard about them. Now, uh, and, and also uh, those spiders, huge spiders, now we're worried about jumping worms. I don't know that worms are the most dangerous insect, or no, are they an insect, I don't know, creature in the world, but why are people concerned about jumping worms in Massachusetts in particular and Maine? Yeah, these worms have been found around here. They come from East Asia, and I, I don't know if they're officially like an invasive species, which you hear about sometimes, uh, I think, especially sort of in, in marine life and so on. Yeah. But basically what these worms do is they eat up 
uh, the leaf cover on the forest floor. They eat up all that stuff. So they really mess up the topsoil and they can leave tree roots exposed and they can deprive them of nutrients. And so even though it's just like a ridiculous worm that looks kind of goofy, you know, when you bother it, it squirms around like a snake, like it can actually do some serious damage to trees and to forests. And so what they're concerned about right now is, you know, finding them in, in mulch and so on and in soil and not having people spread them around because, you know, these things really get out of hand and people, you know, people generally think that when it comes to gardening and, and so on, worms are good, right? I mean, they, they process the soil and, and they're helpful. Right. But in these, in this case, these are not the guys, you, you don't need these guys help. Well, I'm glad you got them and we don't. But uh, anyway, good luck uh, getting out of the way of the jumping worms. Celeste, stay safe uh, with them until we speak again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston, Massachusetts. Ooh, I don't like the idea of those worms.